So who wasn't here last week? I mean, it's okay if you weren't. Yeah, sweet. All right, so we've got a handful of people. Um, so what you missed last week was basically a class introduction and then a lot of history. We covered a lot of history last week, and uh, it's okay that you missed that. You can either, one, go back. Uh, you can go, always go onto the equipping webpage. There's an equipping landing page that has core classes. Then you can go to the Life of Christ class. And then uh, typically it takes a week, sometimes two weeks, for the class to actually post, but there will be an audio version of the class. You can go back and listen to it. Um, and also, the handouts that we hand out will be uploaded onto that as, as a PDF. You can go read it. But if you weren't here last week, the, uh, the handouts from week one are back there. One of them is a uh, handout that's a little bit longer. It's about 10 pages long on uh, the historical context and the, the, the background that leads up to the life of Jesus. And so I would encourage you to read that. Did anybody get a chance to uh, run through that this week? Or um, Okay, great, which is fine. Um, I would, as we go, if, if something, you know, if you hear something and like, that doesn't totally make sense, that's, that's always just a good reference to keep with you um, as we go because um, a lot of the life of Jesus, like we talked about last week, um, not a lot of it, all of it, um, fits into a historical context that if we don't understand the historical context, then, then we can't accurately understand Jesus. And so um, I'll be referencing a lot of that stuff just um, in my talk tonight, but um, uh, if, if you want more of it, it's in that handout, okay? Um, also, by way of uh, just a reminder, we are selling the Philip Yancey uh, book, The Jesus I Never Knew. Anybody got a copy of it with them? Um, a handful. I definitely... Um, would highly recommend uh, you get one of those. Um, like I said, uh, it's de- I mean, it's not mandatory. I'm not going to, like, show up at your house and be like, you know, what page are you on? Um, but but uh, it, it is a great, um, it's easy to read. It's, it's a great supplement to this class. Um, and I've, I've moved through that book probably seven or eight times in, in my life. And every time I read it again, it's just a rich, um, it's just a rich work by Yancey. So I would encourage you to get that as well. That's only like 10 bucks. I think it's cheaper here than you just buying it online or at a bookstore. So encourage you to do that. And then um, also we are, um, you know, smaller is probably only about 30 people in here. So would definitely encourage you as I'm going, um, and I'm going to be talking uh, about a lot of stuff tonight. Um, but as I'm going, I will, I will pause and ask you to interact if you have questions um, if you have a question, I'm in the middle of something, just jot it down or file it away, and then in those times, would love to interact with you guys as well, all right? Um, after a while, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm tired of hearing myself talk. So um, as much as you guys want to interact, I'm, I'm for that. That's a good thing, okay? Um, and for those of you who weren't here last week, my name's Nathan. I serve on the equipping team here at Watermark, and uh, this is week two of six weeks. We're going to cover uh, the claims of Jesus tonight. So what did Jesus believe about himself? And, and uh, we'll kind of ride, ride, uh, ride that train. <laughs> it's an interesting one for sure. All right. Um, but to start, let's, uh, it's appropriate that in a class about Jesus that we pray to Jesus and ask him to teach us. So let's pray. Well, Jesus, we, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the ultimate reality and that because of you we um, have life 
in your name. And I pray that um, tonight that, that my, my thoughts, my, um, my words would be clear and accurate, and that um, this would be just a really, really rich time um, of, of examining your life. Um, if, if your life lived 2,000 years ago among us is not you opening yourself up to us to be examined by us, then I don't know what it is. And so I thank you that you came and dwelt among us and that we saw you um, and can know you. So, Jesus, we do ask in the power of your spirit that you come teach. And we offer you this time in, G- in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> there's a Jesus I never knew. There's, I want to start off by saying that Typically, when you read the Gospels, a couple of things, a couple of things uh, happen with people. One, a lot of times they'll feel like, hey, I need to read the Gospels, or I need to read, uh, and by the Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, but people end up, uh, they'll, they'll read the Gospels, and they'll think, I need, to, I need to do this because I'm supposed to. Um, and typically, uh, the, the people will read it and be like, uh, okay, Jesus is saying some weird things here. I don't really know how this fits. Um, largely, frankly, I think a lot of that happens because people don't or haven't done the work that we talked about last week, and that is to put the story into its context so that the, the people that Jesus is talking to, the places he's talking to them in, the types of things that he's talking about actually make sense because we know all of the preceding events to those things to where uh, Jesus makes a statement um, like, you have heard it said, um, you know, uh, to not murder. But I tell you, don't be angry with your brother. And then people are like, you're, you're teaching with someone who has authority and not like the scribes and Pharisees. Why is this? And you're like, who are the scribes? Who are the Pharisees? Why is Jesus saying that an authoritative statement? What exactly is he even talking about, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of instances like that. I mean, there's, um, yeah, there's a bunch of them. And so, uh, it's, if we haven't done the work, which, which last week we, we did an overview of, of the context, and, and tonight you'll get more context, um, but, but one of the things that's, that's interesting and that I think is really essential for us if we're going to um, really enter into the story, which I think is, is essential in understanding Jesus, is I think we need to come to the, to the story um, as a spectator almost. So you're not just reading it for information you're entering into the story, right? So one of my primary goals tonight is to try to, as best I can, um, help us to enter into the story of Jesus um, like, like you're a disciple, okay? Like you're a follower. And, and maybe not even one of the 12, like apostles, but just one of the other disciples that are um, casually following him around, right? Um, and so... I'll be adding some commentary around that because I really do want tonight, as, again, as best we can, to, to be an observation of the life of Jesus and what he's saying as if you were there. Okay? Um, and, and I think that's really important for, for us um, so that it's not just, oh, this book's really old and what in the world is he saying anyway? I don't know. Okay, I, I did my daily reading. You know, now I'm, I'm off to live my life. Um, and I'm like, but, but I think that Jesus, um, I think Jesus wants to be um, 
in our lives, in every facet of our lives. And I think that he is inviting us into his life, right? Um, so there, there's, I could talk, I could literally like write, write a dissertation about that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I think just in our time tonight, um, that, that's going to be a really critical component. So I talked last week about, you know, people uh, being raised in, in uh, you know, religious tradi- or like a certain denominational tradition, being brought up in the church and kind of being exposed to various types of Jesus, right? And one of the types of Jesus that I mentioned was felt bore Jesus, you know, you guys remember this? So like you have the, the, you have the fabric Jesus that gets put up on the felt board and, and he's kind of like, you know, doing something. And then by the end of the talk, he's like, you know, falling off the fell board and the teacher's over there putting him back up and it's just this glob of sheep and people and boats and Jesus and you're kind of like, what's going on, right? Um, and, and also, and I, I think Yancey does a good job of this because uh, you also grow up like uh, watching Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or now it's, uh, um, I have a two-year-old son, so now it's a, uh, there's, there's like Daniel Tiger um, in his neighborhood um, there's all there's all the kinds of other characters who have neighborhoods that you're invited into. Sesame Street is one of them, um, but but a lot of times, uh, you know, people do we we image, which was one of the things we talked about last week, is we image Jesus to be a certain type of person that we think he is, and that largely is our our, our image of Jesus is largely originates from the contextual world around us, right? So somebody like Yancey um, would be able to write something that says, um, when I, um, uh, Jesus I found bore little resemblance to the Mr. Rogers, right? And, and that's something where, where Jesus is saying, or uh, Yancey is saying, my, the Jesus I was imaging was like Mr. Rogers, you know, welcome to the neighborhood, you know, come on, come on kids, you know, it's just like uh, little children, you know, let them come to me, and he's kind of this really tame, um, passive Man, um, and and I think that in in especially in today's society. Um, so I don't know if you guys saw uh, the ESPYS last night. Anybody watch the ESPYS? All right, a handful of people. Um, so Bruce Jenner gets up um, toward the end and receives this Arth- you know Arthur Ashe uh, Courage Award, right? Um, and and his courage is um, to uh, to cross dress uh, as a transgender and identify himself as a woman. Right, this is his, this is his courageous act, and so um, regardless of what you think about that, I, I saw today on social media some people commenting about it, and it's funny. You remember I said last week, like um, Jesus is everybody's favorite ally. You know, if you can bring Jesus <laughs> onto your side, then then you win. You know, it's like this is the trump card. It's Jesus, and people are like, oh dang, I don't want to argue with Jesus. Um, and so I saw today on some social media threads where people were saying, hey, Jesus' command to us was just to, was just to love, to accept one another, to love one another, um, which in their mind means you should just be okay with whatever I choose to do, right? And that's their conception of who Jesus is. And so, um, and yet I think you read the Gospels, and when you actually read the Gospels and begin to study critically what Jesus is saying, um, he doesn't come across like a Mr. Rogers figure. He doesn't come across like a politically correct individual <laughs> at all, really. Um, and I think you'll see tonight, um, Jesus has opinions about things. And he has really strong opinions about things. Like, 
opinions about things, and not just about things, but opinions about himself that are not acceptable in society. And so, again, our society is looking at Jesus, and we're, we're projecting on him, we're imaging him as, as a prototype of who we are as a society, and, and are, reading, are pushing our values onto him, are pushing our political correctness on him, And I'm just telling you, if you don't learn anything else tonight, remember this. Jesus does not fit into your box. He doesn't fit into anybody's box. Okay? Um, I mean, C.S. Lewis, who's, you'll hear me quote him quite a bit um, tonight. I'll quote him at least three times tonight. And if you haven't read C.S. Lewis, um, anybody read C.S. Lewis? Um, Yes, awesome. My opinion of you just elevated. Um, so a lot of people know him for like his children's books, the Chronicles of Narnia, and he, sp- he wrote the Space Trilogy. Um, and, 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 but primarily, uh, most of his work was done either in academia and in the, uh, um, in the realm of uh, Renaissance literature, which was his specialty, but also he wrote extensively on uh, Christianity and Christian apologetics. And, and uh, the article or the handout that I've got for you tonight, which is, um, what, are we ma- what are we to make of Jesus Christ?, is by C.S. Lewis, okay? Um, that's a really short, I mean, won't take you more than 10 minutes to read it. And that's a really excellent summary of, of, of the, the stuff I'm going to be talking about tonight. But he said in The Four Loves, which is one of his books, he says this, he's talking about Jesus. Um, he, or Jesus, was not at all like the psychologist's picture of the integrated, balanced, adjusted, happily married, employed, popular citizen. You can't really be very well adjusted to your world if it says you have a devil and ends by nailing you naked up to a stake of wood. Right? So so one of the first things I want to do to help us enter into the story is to try to at least paint a more accurate picture of Jesus than what society says and to actually say, no, this man in a lot of ways was a radical revolutionary. Right? Now, I don't, when you hear radical revolutionary, a lot of us think like uh, you know, somebody who emotionally is over the top or is emotionally imbalanced or anything like that. I don't think that Jesus was emotionally imbalanced, but I do think that he was saying things about the world and about himself that made him radical. Right? You don't take, well, let me just put it this way to, to restate what Lewis said. You, you, you don't take someone who's not radical and for um, really... Because somebody who's not radical does not threaten any kind of power structure um, that exists at the time. And you don't take someone like that and for really no reason nail them to a tree. Right? Jesus is doing, he's doing things, he's saying things about himself that are um, pushing the storyline, the narrative along that ultimately will end in his own death. And he's even predicting these things. Right? So tonight, as we enter into the story, there is a, there is a settledness um, of, about Jesus in the Gospels. You don't see him easily flustered. Um, you, you don't see him uh, surprised very often. There are a few times that he is. But you don't see him surprised very often. You don't see him shocked a whole lot. Um, you do see him amazed. And one of the things that he's amazed about is people's faith or lack of faith, right? Um, but but you, see a, you see someone who, um, who, is abs- who is very sure of himself, 
and yet um, in, in the midst of that um, is encountering a turbulent society, a turbulent culture, a turbulent religious system that very much he's meeting head on like everywhere he goes. Um, multiple times tonight, you'll hear the phrase, and they picked up stones to stone him, right? I don't remember, I don't know if you guys watched like Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street. I don't remember the last time somebody threw a rock at Elmo's head, right? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't happen. Um, at least, um, not that I know of. Uh, or, or Mr. Rogers. I can't remember the last time Mr. Rogers was like, hey kids, you know, welcome to the neighborhood. Bam! And he gets socked in the face. Um, and so, uh, a- as we do enter the story, as we do enter into um, to examining what Jesus is saying about himself, we need to remember um, that there is a, um, I, I feel like that there is, what the, what the text says about him is that he's full of grace. And so there's an inviting um, nature about Jesus. There is a, there's a settled gentleness about him. Um, and yet he's also full of truth. And so he does, when he encounters lies, when he encounters corruption, when he encounters falsehood, He's encountering it with the full force of the truth, right? But doing so in such a way that he's also um, inviting people in. Um, and so it's, it's a really fascinating, um, fascinating story. So the first, three go- the first three books of the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Actually, before I uh, do this, um, any, anything I've said so far that you're, you're, you'd like Ask a question or comment or anything like that. Okay. Um, feel free, even if you want to interrupt me, just raise your hand. I'll call in, okay? So the first three uh, books of the Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, Luke, Luke. <laughs> it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The reason they're called the Synoptic Gospels is, is because you can pretty much put them... Um, uh, up next to one another, and they read basically the same, okay? Um, there's a lot of parallels in them. In some instances, they use the exact same terminology as, as uh, one, one book will use the exact same terminology as the other. And a great way to, to distinguish the synoptic gospels from John is the synoptics typically tell the story, and they, they begin with the assumption that Jesus is human. So, so you get a very, I mean, Mark doesn't really have a birth narrative, but Matthew and Luke both do, right? And Luke has an extensive birth narrative. Jesus is born as a man to a a woman in Israel in the first century um, in a certain time and place and culture, right? And so you get from the Synoptic Gospels a very human Jesus that builds up as the story goes to the end of the story um, where in all three Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is now not only crucified, but he is resurrected from the dead. And so the, the synoptic writers are writing the story almost from the ground, from, from earth to heaven, right? And, and in um, uh, a, a couple of the synoptic accounts, Jesus is ascending into heaven, right? Um, uh, he's commissioning his disciples, and then he's leaving. And so th- literally, it's an earth to heaven kind of progression that goes um, and then John, which we'll camp out the most in tonight, um, tells the story the other way around. Okay? John writes much later than the synoptic writers wrote. He wrote either, you can make an argument that he wrote prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, 
although most people typically think that he wrote in the 90s um, AD during the reign of Domitian, um, the, the Roman emperor, right? Um, so either one, he's writing after the, after the synoptics. And what John does, who's John's an eyewitness, and John is also an integral part of uh, Jesus' inner circle, his followers. Yet what John is doing is he's saying, hey, I'm going to tell the story from a different perspective, okay? And I'm going to give you a much more intimate look at Jesus um, that basically um, I'm going to be telling you things that only someone in the inner circle of his eyewitnesses would be able to recount to you. And so John starts his gospel, whereas Matthew says um, this is the genealogy of Jesus, um, and then he shows you how, why, you know, how Jesus descended from all these people um, from Adam to, to Abraham, from Abraham um, to David, from David to Jesus. And so um, Matthew's telling it from a very human standpoint. John starts his gospel, and what does he say? In the beginning was the Word, right? So now John is start telling the story, and he's already assuming deity, right? He's telling the story from heaven, and then starting in John chapter 13 through the rest of the story, you see, the, you see Jesus' passion narrative, right? So John is taking someone, um, and, and the most explicit claims that, Je- that Jesus makes about himself are in the Gospel of John, and, which we respect. Um, and then he goes all the way down to, to now, um, really, what in John's argument, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word wa- was what? Was God, right? This is an explicit statement of, of deity. Now, all of a sudden, at the end of John's gospel, God is dead, right? Um, That's the other way around. Um, And and then, obviously, John's gospel also has the resurrection narrative. But you can just see how the synoptics go from earth to heaven, and John's is is written from heaven to earth. You start with the the assumption of deity, and then as you go, you begin to see the the humanity of this man, all right? So, um, I just... uh, Wanted to make that distinction before we, before we kick off. But <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 9, um, verses 1 through 8, um, somebody turn to that real quick. Matthew 9, 1 to 8. And, and uh, the Mark and Luke passages that are up there are uh, basically the parallel stories in the other two synoptic gospels. But we'll read out of Matthew. Does anybody want to volunteer to read for me? Matthew 9, 1 to 8. You'll do it? So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Okay. What's Jesus' claim in this passage? What's he claiming about himself? 
That's exactly right. Okay? He has the power to forgive sin. All right? Um, Lewis has a great... Uh, Lewis has a great little section on this in Mere Christianity. Um, he, uh, and I'll just read it. It's a little bit uh, lengthy, but I, he says it better than I would. So, uh, Lewis says this about his claim to forgive sin. One, one part of the claim tends to slip past us unnoticed because we have heard it so often that we no longer see what it amounts to. I mean the claim to forgive sins. Any sins. Now, unless the speaker of God, is God... This is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. You tread on my toes and I forgive you. You steal my money and I forgive you. <laughs> but what do we make of a man himself unrobbed and untrodden on who announces that he forgave you for treading on, on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Asinine fatuity is the kindest description we should give of this conduct. Yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven. He didn't wait around to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned. The person chiefly offended in all offenses. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply that I can These words would imply what I can only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any other character in all of history. Right? Here's a man, seriously. Now, remember, we're going to try to put ourselves into the story. Here's a man who's probably sitting in a a compound, like a mud compound, um, mud or stone compound. And typically what happened is you would have an inner courtyard, and then the rooms would be... uh, off to the side in a in kind of a square and and then in the center is where a lot of the social you would eat together you would socialize together you would have people over you would host people in that courtyard um so i was in the army um for about five five and a half years and uh deployed twice to afghanistan my first deployment um we were out in in the villages and and uh it's funny i tell people um, if you want to go see where jesus lived go to israel Um, if you want to see how he lived Go to Afghanistan. <laughs> that's the, that's uh, pretty true. Like, one time we were rolling up in this village, and uh, uh, we're walking because we're on foot patrols. So we're walking through this field, and uh, I think it was the first, one of the, one of the first patrols I was on. So I'm drinking this all in. This is a new experience for me. And I'm walking through this farm field, and these guys are out there with literally, um, there's like some, they have some, some iron tools, but um, they're, they're plowing with a plow that you would have seen Literally, 2,000 years ago, right? Primitive farming tools that these guys are working with. And it was like, and they're also dressed in like linen cloths or, they're, or they've girded themselves up for work, you know? And I literally was walking, and, and here I am, decked out in, well, you guys have seen soldiers before, right? I'm decked out in all of my stuff with an, with an assault rifle, you know? And I'm like, what, what year is it? <laughs> like, uh, is it 20, uh, at the time it was 2009. Um, it was like, is it 2009 or, or 9 AD? I'm not sure, you know. Um, but you got to remember, like, and, and so I, I went into a lot of compounds where it was like this. Like, there were rooms off to the side, and there was a courtyard um, in the middle. And, and you got to understand as well, Jesus, this is early on in his ministry, and he had done some certain things like turning water into wine and stuff like this that attracts people. 
And so he has a large following, especially he starts to heal people. And it, you don't have modern medicine. You don't have, you know, a, a doctor that you can go do surgery on you, right? If, if you've got a guy that's healing people, you're going to bring your sick to this guy, right? Um, and we see this multiple times um, in the Gospels where people are um, desperate. Um, and, and so they do come to Jesus um, for healing. And so um, this, these, this paralytic, his friends who they can't get to Jesus because the crowd's around, there's no entrance way in. The only way in is to come in from the roof and then into the courtyard from the thatched roof after they've taken it apart. So they lower this guy down, and you're sitting there listening to Jesus talk. He's saying some stuff that's interesting to you. And, and I mean, as a Jewish rabbi, which people would have seen him like that, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I mean, this is really interesting. Like, this guy's, this guy's a captivating teacher. Um, what he's saying is, is, is resonating with me. I, I'm... I'm attracted to what he's saying. And then all of a sudden, you see this kind of commotion over here. And it's not like you're in a huge room like this, right? I mean, probably the courtyard or the co- of the compound wasn't any bigger than, like, this group of tables right here, or maybe even smaller than that, right? So there's a lot of people that are pressed up against one another. And you're sitting there listening to this Rabbi Yeshua, and, and then there's this commotion. You're like, what are you guys doing? You're like, you're interrupting him, Right? And there's teachers of the law there. There's scribes there. There's other people that are also interested in Jesus' teaching. And here come these guys um, with this paralytic, and they put him on the ground. And the next thing you hear, Yeshua, who's, now, who's been teaching about um, God and been teaching about, um, uh, well, we don't know what he was talking about, but we have some idea in, in the Gospels, um, is teaching about the kingdom of God, more than likely. Then, um, and you're listening to him, and now all of a sudden he stops, and there's, you can kind of you can kind of hear the hush that comes over everybody that's there. And the next thing he says is, he, he sees, this is fast, this is the fascinating part. He sees the faith of the guy's friends, right? Not the paralytic, the guy's friends who are bringing him to Jesus. He sees their faith, and he looks at the paralytic, and the next thing he says is, I forgive your sin. I mean, if I'm sitting there listening to this guy, um, and I'm a good Jew, and I've read Torah, and I know Torah, and I know the way that, that the, the, the first thing I think is, who do you think you are? Nobody can forgive sins but who? But God alone. And I'm pretty sure you're not Him. Right? You might be a good teacher, but you're not God. So who do you think you are? Right? And, and so in the, in the pericope, in the section that you read, Jesus, knowing what's in their hearts, tells them, look guys, if you don't believe me, what, what's easier for, for you? For me to say that he's forgiven or for, him, for me to tell him to get up and walk? Which one of those things do you, will you believe? And, and again, there's kind of this stunned silence because this is shocking, right? This is, not a, this is not a passing comment that somebody makes. It's like, oh, that's no big deal. You know, that's, 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 that's someone in here offending someone else. And then um, uh, Devin, right? And then Devin comes up to him and says, oh, I forgive you. What? <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? I mean, uh, no, that's like, like, like Lewis said, that's asinine fatuity. Like that, that is nonsense. And yet here is Jesus who says, um, you're, I forgive you. I forgive you. And if you don't believe that I can forgive this man, then fine. Get up, take your mat, and go home. 
and I can just, if, I mean, if I was there, and I'm picturing it in my mind, if I'm there, then, then I'm just like, I, there, there's, this, there's this moment of total still and silence where people are like, what's the guy going to do? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, uh, is he just going to sit there and look at Jesus? Because you, you half or even more than half expect the guy to just be like, what? I, can't, I still can't move, dude. Right? And yet, what does the text say? That guy got up, and he rolled up his mat, and he went home. Right? Now, if you're paying attention, um, this is totally unique. Jesus is saying, I forgive you, and and then um, it's as if the man is forgiven. And he walks away in the grace of God. Right? Um, That's crazy. Here's another one from the synoptics. Matthew chapter 23 Verses 34 to 39. Somebody want to volunteer for that one? 23, 34 to 39. You got it? You go, man. We pass this over to him, please. Thanks. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them will kill and crucify you. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Mm -hmm. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and send those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's Jesus' claim here? How does the passage start? Will you read the first line again for me? Yes. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Okay. And then, and then when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Read that section again. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. Okay. How, okay. Yeah, yeah, and he says, how often I've, I've longed to gather you um, as a hen gathers her, you know, um, her chicks under her wings. What's Jesus' claim here? It's kind of, it's kind of if you're not paying attention, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an implied claim. But what's he, what's he claiming? Yeah, that's exactly right. He's he's standing that for those of y'all who are familiar with with the you know with Matthew's gospel, this is the section of Matthew called, um, or it, it's leading into the section called the Olivet Discourse. All right, so he's on the Mount of Olives. Thanks, man. He's on the Mount of Olives and he's he's uh, giving um, a prophecy about the end times. But he's also and for those of y'all um, to put some geographical context on this. Um. You guys have seen a picture of Jerusalem, right? Um, and, and most of the time, the picture of Jerusalem that's taken is taken of um, the east gate with the Dome of the Rock on the other side of, of, the, uh, of the wall. Are you familiar with this picture? All right, it's the, by far the most common one taken. Um, because the wall, that wall is the same wall that was there when Jesus was alive. That's the same wall from the first century. It's been rebuilt a number of times, but it's basically the same wall. Um, and, 
and that eastern gate, um, which is now closed up, used to be open. Um, but it's a really clear picture of Jerusalem. Well, they're taking that picture from the top of the Mount of Olives. Okay? So Jesus is standing in the same spot where people now take that picture. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus is looking at Jerusalem the same way that we kind of look at Jerusalem today. Obviously, it looks differently, um, but it's the same, basically, the sa- it's the same place. And, and he's weeping over Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, um, you, I, uh, you, you are the ones who have killed the prophets and the wise men and the teachers, and now I'm paraphrasing, that I sent you. What? Right? Again, you're, you're listening to Jesus say this, and you're like, hang on. Um, he, is, he is not even uh, implicitly, he's explicitly saying, he's claiming to be the one who all throughout the ages has sent prophet and wise men and teachers to the nation of Israel to communicate to Israel what he wants them to know and hear from him. He's claiming to be that power. Well, what power is that? Who's the one who sent the prophets? God. Right? And, and then I think you see a very um, human response to, to Israel's rejection of the people that he sent to them for his purpose. And, and he... Um, just like we, we talked about last week, where Yahweh is seen through the prophets as a husband to, to a wife, where he's saying, look, I'm, I'm sending you a message to communicate to you how much I love you, and you're murdering my messenger. I mean, he, there's parables all throughout the Gospels where Jesus says the same sort of thing. I mean, the parable of, of, of the uh, owner of the vineyard who sends servants, and, and the people that are in the vineyard, uh, the workers of the vineyard, kill the servant. He sends another servant. They kill him. He sends another servant. They kill him. And finally, he's like, I'll send them my son. Right? Um, these, are, these parables are tying into these claims that Jesus is making about himself. Again, if you're his follower, um, it's, almost like a, it's, it's almost like, hey, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure you should say that. <laughs> right? Because remember, um, you, 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 know, you, for all intents and purposes, could also have been from Nazareth. You could have known about this guy. And you could have known his family, where he grew up, and maybe played uh, children's games with him when you were young. I mean, um, you could have known John, the baptizer. Um, you, you could have known these, you could have, and Jesus and John, the baptizer, were, were cousins. So, I mean, you could have been familiar with his family and, and then just been like, man, what are you talking about? Um, and yet, here he is, um, standing in the place of God. Claiming things about, not just about God, but claiming to be God. Um, Claiming to be the one who actually sent the prophets and wise men into Israel. Um, It's fascinating. Totally fascinating. Okay, next one. Matthew chapter 26. Um, Actually, you know what, for this one, let's look at Mark chapter 14, verses 60 through 64. Um, to set this one up, Jesus has been arrested. He is standing before the uh, part of the Sanhedrin. You have to remember his trial, which we'll, get, we'll talk about his trial when we, when we cover the Passion uh, narrative in three weeks. Um, but 
uh, and we'll talk about that more in depth, but he's, he's on trial, and uh, the trial was a farce. Like, there was only selective people who were woken up in the middle of the night to come examine Jesus. Um, and, and so he's standing before Caiaphas, who is the high priest, and they're interrogating him um, regarding um, his claims, uh, who he is, what type of threat he is. All right? Somebody have the passage? Want to read it? You mind? Okay, cool. Thanks. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophecy. And the guards took him and beat him. Yeah, yeah. So, you, I mean, you guys have seen this enacted in various movies or, you know, uh, yeah, thanks. Or, or uh, you know, plays or whatever. Um, anybody familiar with, the, with, the, with the, the claim that he's making um, when he answers them? Anybody familiar with that? Okay, and then he says, but the statement that follows, anybody? Yep. Yep, right. From, from, from Daniel. That's okay. Um, from Daniel chapter 7, right? We're going to talk about that in, in a minute. But Jesus is using imagery about himself here, um, where ultimately, and, and just to, um, I'm going to move through this one a little more quickly because we are going to talk about it uh, because he makes the same claim in John. Um, about being the Son of Man. Um, but he uses, he doesn't just say, I am, which would be enough, right? Um, we'll get to that as well. He doesn't just say, I am. He also says, and you will see the Son of Man, right, coming with power um, on the clouds of heaven. Uh, which ultimately, and, and if you're a good Jew, and this is why the chief priest tore his robes and they claimed that he blasphemed, because the Son of Man imagery in Daniel chapter 7, there is this, one like a son of man is presented before the ancient of days, who is Yahweh. And Yahweh gives to the son of man authority to rule and judge the nations. All of them. Right? And so, in a unique twist, Caiaphas, who is sitting over a judgment of Jesus, asks him, are you the Messiah? And Jesus' answer to him in this that's just reeks with irony. He says, I am the Messiah, and I'm also the judge of the whole world. So ultimately, even though you think you're sitting in judgment on me, who's the judge here? I am. And you better be careful. Right? Because, and, and ultimately... Um, you, you know, I, I do think I do think that, that one of the things Jesus is implying to Caiaphas is is he's saying, "Hey, b- hey, buddy, you think you're judging me, but it's really the other way around, right?" Um, and and so because of because these Jews are extremely familiar with Daniel chapter seven, um, they do they tear their robes right um, and they claim that he's uh, blasphemed. Um, yeah. So those, those are just three examples from the Synoptic Gospels. Because we're going to camp out mostly in John for the next 45 minutes, we'll be in John. Um, 
But I wanted to give some examples from, from the synoptics. There, there are more, right? These are just three that I think are, are pretty clear where um, we, we can't say that Jesus is, is not clear on what he's claiming about himself, that he, ha- that he is the one who chiefly offended in all sin <laughs> and is able to forgive sin because he's the offended party. Um, that he's the one who has, all throughout the history of Israel, has sent them prophets and teachers and wise men throughout the ages. And that ultimately, everybody in the whole world is, sits under his judgment. That's, I mean, again, if you're sitting there listening to him say these things, um, there's a disbelief that's associated with this. Like, I can't literally, I cannot believe that you're saying this. Um, it's, these, these claims are that outstanding. Okay? Okay, so what we're going to do now, um, and I'm going to stop here real quick. Anybody got anything um, before I move on? Questions, clarity, heresy, whatever you got, you know. <laughs> Awkward silence. Okay. Well, can't say I didn't try. All right, what I want to do now, I'm going to move through this stuff pretty quickly. I'm going to camp out at a couple of claims that he makes, but most of these will be um, fairly clear. What, I want, what I'd like to do is, um, and because a couple of you have already read over here, Devin, I'm going to start with you guys. And what I want you to do is, um, uh, so it'll be Devin and then your wife. What's your name again? Lauren. And then Charlotte. And then, so y'all are passing the mic, and then you'll pass it back here, and we'll go down this row, all right? And basically, we're going to just be reading Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, okay? So you'll see, like right now, it's John one i I'll talk about John one twenty one, but then the next passage will also pop up. So the person who's next, just turn to that passage and be ready to read it, okay? Tracking? There you go, Devin. John one twenty one. You got it? You got it. Lauren's got it. Bam. Love it. John one twenty one. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So keep going. <laughs> Hang on for a second. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not 21, it's 51. Oh. So, um, yeah, sorry. I, that's a typo. Uh, start in 49 and read through 51. That's my bad. All right. John 149. <laughs> then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, so his disciples are starting to come to him. And he tells, is it Nathaniel? Um, in the, Lauren, is it Nathaniel that is the disciple? Um, yes. Yeah, Nathaniel. He tells Nathaniel, hey, I, I saw you under a fig tree. <laughs> That's, uh, okay, thanks. Um, and... and uh, and Nathaniel's response to him is, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, 
seriously? That's like, that's all I have to tell you? Um, You're going to see a lot more than that, buddy. In fact, you will see the heavens opened and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So he's referring to himself as the Son of Man, but then he's also tapping into imagery from what story? Anybody know a story about angels ascending and descending on somebody? Huh? Not Ezekiel. Jacob. Jacob's dream um, when he is at Shechem, and he falls asleep and has this vision of the heavens opened and angels ascending and descending on this ladder up into heaven, right? And, and Jacob, who later wrestled with God, is, is renamed who? Israel, right? Jesus is allu- this illusion that he's making to Nathaniel and the other prophets, the prophets, the other disciples that are around him is, hey guys, um, I am the true Israelite. So Jacob had ladders, had angels ascending and descending on him. You're going to see heavens opened and angels descending on and, and ascending and descending on me. Right? And later we'll see a more explicit claim to this where he's saying, hey, you know, what, you know what Jacob and Israel was always supposed to be? That's me. I am the embodiment of the elect of God. I am the ultimate elect one. I am Israel, is this claim. Right? Um, and this is early on in his ministry, so you're kind of, I mean, that's, that's not too explicit. That's more just like, okay. Um, interesting. John 3.13, what does that say? No one says no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Okay, so what's he saying about himself here? No one has come out of heaven except the one who came from heaven, namely the Son of Man. What's he saying about himself? Where is he from? Yeah, he's saying that he came from heaven. So this is not something, um, yeah, thanks. This is not something where he's like, hey, I'm just like you guys, right? In fact, he tells them later, you're from, you're from below. I'm from above, right? You're, you, came from, uh, you came from the, uh, the seed of man. And, and uh, you know, actually, um, my wife and I have been talking about this phenomenon. That is the virgin birth, right? Um, that's kind of crazy. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it, it's like uh, we all inherit our sin nature from that, that theologically is passed from our father to us and yet Jesus is claiming actually my mother was was not conceived by a human man but by the holy spirit i i am i am from heaven and again you as his disciple you're 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 he's saying these things and you're kind of like oh <laughs> okay. Um, I, I mean, what you don't see from this man is like this um, uh, mental illness where he's rambling about stuff, or it's obvious that he's uh, off, that he's a few bricks shy of a load, right? That, that, he's, um, uh, that he's crazy. You're you're seeing him interact with people in a very sane way, and yet he's saying things about himself that are absolutely extraordinary. John four fourteen. What does that say? Who's up? 
John 4, I'll do 13 and 14. Yep, perfect, um, sweet. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, okay. yep, keep going. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What? Okay, what's his claim here? What's he saying about himself? You, you, you'll drink this water and you'll get thirsty again, but what? Come on, don't be shy. Yeah, exactly, right? If you come to me, you won't thirst at all. Why? Because he's giving them what type of water? Eternal life water. I mean, that's pretty good water right there. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to give you eternal life, right? In fact, we got some water. Dude, you might need to give me some water here in a minute. <clears throat> but he's claiming not only to give water, but to give a type of water that when, he, when you drink it, the result of you drinking the water that comes from him is what? Eternal life. Right? That's, <laughs> you know, you talk about uh, who are the guys, you know, running around the new world looking for the fountain of youth, right? Um, I mean, this is a, um, this is a different kind of, of living water. This is water that, that Jesus says, um, you will not thirst again. Um, again, fascinating claim. John 4, 26. What does he say? I'll read 25 as well. Awesome. Okay. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. All right. So you guys know this passage, right? John chapter 4, the, the woman at the well, right? The Samaritan woman. Um, and he's having a conversation with her, and, and uh, um, he, he's like, um, uh, um, give me a drink, and, and uh, she, she does, and then he starts a conversation with her, and, and uh, she, uh, he asks her about the Messiah, and she says, well, I know that, that one is coming, and when he comes, we will worship on, on our mountain, um, and, and Jesus says, actually, the one that you're waiting for uh, is standing right in front of you. I, I'm that guy. I am the anointed one. The, uh, the Hebrew word is Mashiach, the, the Messiah, right? Um, which is definitely doesn't have to be necessarily, in fact it's not, um, explicitly a claim to deity, um, but he is talking about um, being the fulfillment of the long-awaited son of David, the Messiah, the king of Israel, right? Um, which is what the Messiah, that's who the Messiah is. So he is the Messiah. Um, John chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Go ahead. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For the reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, what's his claim here? What's his, what's the claim? Yeah, that God is his father, and that, what else? Not only that, not only is God his father, which we would be like, okay, yeah, I mean, God, God, like, God is also the father of King David, right? Um, but not only that, he's saying it in such a way, at least, that, that people are, are upset, because his statement 
is implying what? That he's equal with God. Right? That's the uniqueness um, of, of his claim. Um, they, God is not only his father, but he is also equal with God. And what was their response? Read, read the response again one more time. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. <laughs> all right. Number one. All right. Let's count, let's count, the, let's count the, the times that people try to kill him. Right? <laughs> again, you don't take a well-adjusted, politically correct, tame individual and arrest him, strip him naked, and nail him to a stake of wood. John five, twenty-seven. What does that say? For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Okay. Jesus alluding here, uh, uh, again, what I talked about before. Somebody turn to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And we'll read that, um, we'll read that now. So God, it, Jesus is saying, let me get some water. Jesus is saying, hey, um, so the Father has given me the authority to judge... Um, he's given the authority to judge to the Son of Man. And obviously, his claim is that he is the Son of Man. So what does Daniel 7 say? Somebody turn to that real quick and read it. We got a mic back there, too, if one of you guys wants to grab that and read it. Daniel 7, anybody there? You are? Okay. Hey, um, will you pass the mic down to her, please? Bam, bam. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, it's 13 13 and 14. All right. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, what are some unique aspects of that passage? What's happening? What's happening? One like a son of man is presented before the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days, whoever that is, it's, well, I mean, in this passage, it's God, it's Yahweh, gives him dominion, power, authority to do what? To judge the nations. And what are the nations doing to him? They worship him. Right? And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His throne does not ever go away. Right? So, again, when Jesus is making this claim in John 5, um, again, this is not something that you just say in passing to someone. This is, this is, the, kind of, th- this is the kind of claim that is heavy with meaning, where he says, um, the, the Father has given me, me as the Son of Man the authority to judge. Right? This is really obvious. It's really obvious um, because the people who are listening to him probably know Daniel 7, 13, and 14 by heart. Right? So when he's saying these things, it's not like they have to be like, I think that means something. 
whoa, you know, that's crazy. I mean, they, they already know it. So when he's saying it, there is a shock value there that's like, whoa. You're, you are doing nothing less than claiming that you are the one who has already been presented before the Ancient of Days, and he has given you authority. That he's the eschatological judge. Esch- eschatology, eschatological is just a term that means um, there will be a judge at the end of time who judges all of the nations. That is yet to come, right? Um, the eschaton, it, it's just the Greek word that means the end, right? So it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the final judgment. And the one who sits on the throne in the final judgment to judge the nations is, according to this Nazareth, man from Nazareth that lived 2,000 years ago, is that guy. 